Principles are fundamental truths that serve as the foundations for behavior that gets you what you want out of life. They can be applied again and again in similar situations to help you achieve your goals. Every day, each of us is faced with a blizzard of situations we must respond to. Without principles, we would be forced to react to all the things life throws at us individually, as if we were experiencing each of them for the first time. If instead, we classify these situations into types and have good principles for dealing with them, we will make better decisions more quickly and have better lives as a result. Hey, Nat. Hey, Neil. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty excited to talk about this book that you recommended to me, actually. I've been excited about this book for so long. <laughs> so Yeah, you mentioned that when we were talking about doing a podcast, this was yeah. one of the books that like made its way onto that original exactly. list. Because we, we knew it was coming out eventually. It just right. wasn't... Well, and it was in PDF form. Probably we should start. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So did you ever read the PDF? Uh, I did not. I have it sitting on my computer, I noticed. <laughs> but actually, before we start talking about that, the book we're talking about is Principles by Ray Dalio. Principles, Life and Work. Yeah, apparently there's going to be a sequel. Yeah, I was Focus really excited like, to yeah, see Yeah, I was really happy to see that too. That, that's like his investment in economic principles, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't wait for that one to come it's out. It's going to be great. So I think you or Adil had sent me the PDF at some point. I think it was me. I think Adil still hasn't read it. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he has now, but I had been prodding he, him to read it for maybe forever. He, maybe he'll read the book now. Or, yeah. Yeah. or I was like, maybe he like was giving the PDF to other people without <laughs> having read it. Well, the PDF um, got taken offline in the last year right. or so when the book got announced. Yeah. So, which, which makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess we should clarify. So this is a book by Ray Dalio. He runs Bridgewater, the most successful hedge fund in the world, I believe, at least in the so U.S. By, yeah. yeah. Or by assets. Or, or by, yeah, by assets under management. He's a pretty successful guy. We don't Super know successful. We don't know yeah. if he's one or two. One or of the best five. investors he's, of all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, he's successful. And his life story is really cool, too. Like he, Life story is It's cool. not that he was like born with a silver spoon in his mouth, like pretty like lower middle class. Lower middle background. class. Grew up in Long Island. Yeah, I think his dad was like a musician. Dad was a musician. His mom was a homemaker, like, yeah. I think. She just, yeah, was taking care of him. And yep. then he... Uh, started going to golf clubs. Yeah. And he was, As a caddy. He was a, yeah, he was a caddy, yeah. right? And so he was listening to the bankers talk about investment stuff and he got really into it. I loved his story of his first investing story about how it went up. Yeah. Uh, how like he put money in, like didn't know what he was doing. And then the stock market went up. And I think he said he like doubled his money. Or yeah, doubled like or tripled his money. Yeah. And he thought it was like, it's so easy. And, like, <laughs> it's so easy. And then he was <laughs> well, hooked. Actually, yeah. one thing that I wanted to bring up, and I'm glad we're already talking about this is wonder what would have happened in his life if mm -hmm. the stock market had gone down mm -hmm. when he had put that. Like if his first taste of it was like he didn't have much money and then he immediately lost money on it, if his entire like experience with the stock market would have been soured. Uh, yeah, and then maybe. not gone into it at all. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's like something I was thinking about when I saw that. I've heard that about people who become addicted to gambling. It's that they have like an amazing first time they go gambling and they yep. make a ton of money yep. and then they keep going back looking for that experience. <laughs> it's a similar issue with people who get addicted to MDMA. Oh, so it's such a good high the first time or something. And like, so basically the drug releases a lot of your like built up serotonin in your brain. And so it will never be as powerful as the first time you do it. Oh, because you never have that buildup. You'll, yeah, you'll never have that much buildup again, right? If you do yeah. it the first time when you're 25 or whatever, then you'll have 25 years of buildup. Build <laughs> and so it's like the most intense will be the first time. And then people will get hooked on it trying to get that experience back. So, yeah, it's kind of like a s similar themes. Yeah. It's a good question. Diminishing returns, I guess. Oh, well, yeah, diminishing returns. Uh, but yeah. also, you know, like if Dalio hadn't right. made all that yeah, money, right? right. it would be like a very different world right <laughs> yeah. now. Because like, this is one of my favorite just kind of funny stories about him. Like he's the reason we have chicken nuggets. 
Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, which uh, maybe, yeah, you should probably explain that story because I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, so basically he was, I guess, very early in like futures and that whole market and helping well, shape well, it. That was what he spent a lot of his time in was uh, commodities, right? Futures, which was yeah. like like cattle and I know he spent a lot of yeah, his time grain, with cattle and grain yep. and stuff. Uh, and so McDonald's came to him and they were trying to figure out like, how do they ensure that they will have enough chickens like, at the right price, at the right, price yep. at the right time for them to be able to actually make this chicken nugget? And he figured out all the like pricing and uh, I guess like everything they needed to do for it to work out for their business. Well, which is um slight tangent, but here we go. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is like one of those instances where uh, I think this book actually helped me realize like there is a lot of value to what you know people in finance do, mm-hmm. that it's not just like you know, people gamble. Like, it's not gambling. It's not just gambling, right? right? Like, the, and and Bridgewater had maybe, uh, maybe they still do. I'm not sure. But at least in the beginning, he was talking about how they did a couple different things. They managed investments, of course, you know, and they had an investment arm, but then they also sort of solved businesses problems yeah. using finance, yeah. like this McDonald's example. Well, there is like, there's definitely good and bad finance, right? So yeah, there's speculation. Well, which is there's one. also like, it's like buying a mutual fund from Morgan Stanley, like paying a 2% like on a management like that, fee. Like, yeah, yeah, management fee. Like that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like very clearly the index funds went out over the long term yeah. for like 90 against 99% of those advisors. But on the flip side, you've got people like Dalio and then the whole like venture capital arm where it's the reason that the economy can move so quickly. Right. Is like these kinds of investments. Right. Well, I was even saying for his McDonald's example, which is like the chicken nugget thing that which by the way this is making me want some chicken nuggets I but know, anyway yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> oh well it was interesting because it's like the chicken nugget would not have been able to exist without somebody sort of figuring out this optimization problem because obviously the price of chickens fluctuates you know over time like it's not like a chicken always costs whatever you know amount it costs right right but it fluctuates but then for a business that is putting a price on a menu it can't fluctuate over time yeah exactly like you know they can't be like well today chicken nuggets are five dollars for 20 tomorrow it's twenty dollars for 20 right the day after it's one dollar for 20 like it's just they can't do that although it could uh, be kind of like an exciting yeah. casino experience Dude, I'll right tell you, with my company hopefully by the time this episode comes out we've fully solved this problem but it's like we have that issue because we're spot marketplace and prices do change over time because it's based on like what the capacity is of our partners and but from the customer's standpoint, that experience is like a pain in the ass. And from the business standpoint, it kind of sucks to not know what your profitability is going to oh, be yeah, on I guess each project. If you don't know what your margins are going to be. Like, exactly. Or it harder. changes, right? Yeah, so it's it really changes. hard to predict of being like, well, if you have a thousand customers, the business will be worth this. It's like, well, you don't really know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's one thing I've been spending a lot of my energy on is like trying to standardize. So when this part of the book came up, I was like, it's like, huh, this is a, I really appreciate what he did here because <laughs> obviously I can't go hire Ray Dalio, but I can try to apply some of these principles, some, yeah, the principles. to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Dalio basically started Bridgewater when he was mid to late 20s. Two years out of school. Two years out of school. Is that it? Yeah. yeah. So he was. I mean, was it two years out of business school? I think it was two years out of business school. Yeah. Because he went to Harvard Business yes. School. So maybe he's 27. He's probably like 27. Yeah. yeah 28. Which uh, was really cool. And was very contrary to what I hear from a lot of my friends who are now either applying to business school or are currently in business school. What do you mean? Sorry if I'm throwing you guys under the bus here, <laughs> but I always hear things of like, I need to go to business school and then I need to go work for a few years at a large bank. 
to really learn about finance and then I can go and do something more interesting. Well, to be fair, he did that too. But like he was learning about it in a slightly more hands-on way. Uh, Like I remember there was one part where he was like flying down to Texas to like actually learn about like the entire business of cattle. Where do they feed? What do those things cost? Like what are the expenses? And like he really was like learning in a hands-on manner, not in sort of like a Harvard business school like hands-off like academic yeah, way academic studying slides yeah he was like very he much was very in it yeah he was yeah. so i think he bridged the theoretical with the practical learning which and the way he described it it made me feel like business school has you know probably some value but like not the way most people do it which is like yeah. just take the theoretical part well and, and also most people are going to business school just so they can like move up in the company they right. were at before right right yep. or move to a new company yeah change careers and that's Maybe, I guess it's like a fine reason for going, but it's very different from how he used it, right? Yeah. It's like college isn't all bad. It's just exactly. how you yes, decide. Yes, you're totally like, right about that. If you go get a four-year degree just so you can get hired by like Bain, right? like that's a total kind of waste of time <laughs> and money. <laughs> but if you are like learning things that then, then it's you, know, different. Yeah. you can apply to what you're interested in. Awesome. Yeah. I liked the <laughs> the reason that he left the company. Oh, wait, say the story again. Remind me. Well, I I don't know if this was exactly the reason, but he basically said that he just was not good at working for people. Oh, yeah. Punched his boss. Yeah. I wish he elaborated on that. Yeah. Well, so uh, in Tim Ferriss' interview of him, Tim asks him about it and he got so uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember. (laughs) He did not want to talk about it. So maybe it's it's not a great story, but it sounds like they were just drunk at a party or something. That's what I was thinking. It was something like that. But maybe it was more than that. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. But it sounds like he just didn't, you know, he wasn't great at being an employee, which I think we can both empathize with. Yeah. And I so, don't think he meditated at that time either. It didn't seem like. I think he did. I think he, he found meditation pretty early. Oh, he early. was into TM pretty early? Yeah. Because I remember him saying really early meditation. on that he found it. Uh, maybe maybe not, though. Maybe it was when he'd already started working. Yeah. Uh but he said he'd been meditating for like 50 years yeah and i think he's 70 ish so he must he's only like 67 yeah yeah so he must have yeah i think he started when he was like in high school or college so he talked about that a decent amount well so that was kind of like a big deal like the first newspaper thingy that came out about him back in 11 or 12 talked about how he meditated every day okay and this was like before meditation was cool yeah which like now it's like not as yeah now it's uh, like oh yeah well obviously he meditates every day right like you're never going to be successful if you don't meditate (laughs) for an hour every morning (laughs) like Hacker told me that is that true (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so he was he's been doing it forever and he like basically credits it as a big part of his success just yeah, being able to quiet his mind and sort of control some of those impulses yeah. which makes which, sense and i can uh, especially for finance right i was gonna say i can like i was having a conversation with someone the other day about they were asking like they were thinking about going down sort of the, the startup side of things they were, had only been in corporate so far and they were asking like well what's what are some of the main differences and one of the biggest things i brought up is like the emotional ups and downs oh yeah where it's like in like the same hour you might think that wow we got it made and then like literally 10 minutes later you might be like oh might as well pack it up this thing's, <laughs> this thing's a sinking ship it's, it's not good for people with high neuroticism right so my uh one of my things that i told that person was like you have to get pretty good at balancing that and fighting it to where i'm like, being like a little more level yeah. of like taking like you know maybe a stoic view or like a longer view of like okay like this is pretty minor in the grand scheme of yeah, things, grand scheme yeah. of things. but it seems like in finance it'd be even more ups and downs because it's like if you're leveraged like it's like your company could literally be like done in a day it's possible yeah i mean we've seen that happen right, right? <laughs> in the startup environment it's like very very rare 
for literally one day to make that much difference unless it's like a major scandal or something yeah if it comes out like the theranos thing or like there's only like a couple things you can think of that would like really derail it on a yeah, single day like, you're well, never gonna lose like all your money in right. one day for an unexpected reason. Exactly. that's what i mean yeah exactly so it's like it might feel that way but it's not really like that whereas mm-hmm. in finance it might really be like that well and particularly in certain kinds of finance like the kind leverage does, finance, right so yep. if you're doing leverage finance or if you're in a hedge fund you can change your bets like minute to minute uh i don't remember where i was listening to this but somebody was talking about the big difference between vc Right. And the hedge fund investing. Right. VC is definitely longer view. VC, it's like when you bet on something, your money's in there for 10, you can't just take it 20 out. years. You yeah. can't take it out. It's like you're set, which is also probably kind of nice. It's good and bad. It's like yeah, you made your like, bet. Oh, well, all right. They're like, yep. we can't, you know, change our minds about this now. We're yep. in. Yep. Whereas, you know, Dalio could like change his bet every hour right. if he wanted to. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to have that like level headed exactly. analysis. Which is why I feel like maybe the meditation thing was extra useful for him. Oh, yeah. Uh, in, the, in the type of work that he does. It, it's so good for that it's like the times i've been meditating regularly i'm like just so much more calm about all that decision making made me like want to restart in i october, go back and forth on it in so october much. when we were doing way of zen when we yeah. were recording that i think around that time i was like rereading that book i did it for i want to say the first at least the first two weeks maybe a couple days longer than that of october like every single day and uh i did feel a little bit more level yeah. i don't know if it's a placebo effect and if it is, that's okay. I'm okay with that. That's still good. an effect. Yeah, yeah, it's still an effect. But I'm not sure if it's like it has anything to do with the actual meditation or has to do with the fact that I'm like not feeling so rushed that I'm, I think I don't have time for it. So I don't know if it's like a cause or effect kind of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Like maybe I just was feeling less rushed at that time. So I was able to do it every day or it's was I mm. feeling less rushed because I was meditating? You're meditating? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what question. it is. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, but I definitely go back and forth on it, too, because there's times where I'm like, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I well, I, I was saying I go back and forth on it because I know that when I do it, it makes me less ambitious. Oh, yeah, oh, totally. And I don't necessarily yeah. like that. Yep. It's like I like having the, some of that energy and that <laughs> yeah. drive. Uh, so it, it's like trade-offs. Yeah, right? there are. So you have so, to be careful what you point. feed your brain. Mm, yeah, you should feed it good things yes. like episodes of this podcast. Yes, and yeah. good books. And good books. And not yeah. popcorn books. Like uh, Go to Lesher Bach. That's a good book. <laughs> listen to uh, episode 13. Is that gonna be, yeah? Is it or 13 12. or twelve? I think it's twelve. I think it's twelve. You can listen to thirteen also. Yeah, you can listen to thirteen too. I think <laughs> why thir- thirteen should be oh, thirteen's Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah that's that's a great ambitious. One. Not not quite a book, but it's you know close. Yeah, <laughs> as well. It then. is basically it is basically a book. But back to the point of yeah, making we'll better decisions. Our, we'll stop making our own ad for our, <laughs> like an ad for our own podcast on our own podcast. Now that's a strange loop. There we go. Ooh, All right, last strange one. loops. That's that. That's the <laughs> but to the point of, I mean, you can see how transcendental meditation or meditation in general, the whole meditation thing actually may have contributed to this idea of principles, right? Where because it, he basically says it in the book that you kind of have to systematize your decision-making and consistently operate with principles that can be clearly explained. And he probably saw himself acting irrationally, right? Or acting in ways that go against what he knew was right. And then by creating these principles, these like systems for making decisions, instead of going off of his gut, he could actually do better over the long term. It's a lot like poker, right? The poker players who do really well know exactly what they need to do in each situation, you know, based on the odds and whatnot. And they play based on that. And then when you get on tilt, right, when you're angry and upset, you stop following that logic. And that's when you lose a lot of money. It's like a very useful tool to have these sort of decision-making criteria set in stone so that you know what you're going to do and not like let your emotions override, override. you. Yeah. yeah. 
Have you read uh, What I Learned Losing a Million Dollars? Not yet, but I've heard it's a very good It's, book. it's really it good. kind of like that, though? It's kind well, of that, about- that's basically the big takeaway. It, it's a fun story. You, yeah. There's not like a ton to learn from it. But the big takeaway at the end is like the reason he kept losing money was that he didn't have systems in place for when he would exit his bets. And so he would just let his emotions take over then and he would just ride it all the way down, hoping it would go back up. And where he eventually like turned it around was in realizing that he had to define rules for exiting before he got in. Right. That's a great. Yeah. Just super helpful. Yeah. For like everything. Yeah. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And I think it also by defining them this way, and, and it's not something that I had really done a lot of with like writing out, out my own principles, but that's something he highly recommends. But I think doing it this way essentially exposes your thought process to, I guess, the idea of evolution. Mm. So like the principles that you are able to discreetly write out that don't work will quickly get crossed off. And because if you're actually making decisions and pointing to like, oh, I did it because of that. And then it didn't work. Then you're like, okay, that's probably not the best way to be making a decision. And you'll probably be left over a period of time with like the ones that do work for you. Right. Well, it was, I don't remember who it was. Oh, you know, I was talking to Sebastian Marshall about this. He was recommending an article. You know, I can't remember who it was by now, but basically the guy wrote the article, a very successful startup founder out of London. And apparently what he does is every time he makes a big decision for his business, he writes out like a paragraph. Yeah, it makes total sense. About why he's making that decision and the reasons. And then he just saves it in a file. And then when he eventually sees how that worked out, he goes back and opens up his reasons. And then if it like didn't work out, he tries to figure out where his logic went wrong. Or if it did work out, it's like, all right, what, you know, there can I keep? Right. And that seems like an awesome practice. Yeah. Do you journal, by the way? So I don't actually. And this is kind of making me think more about it. Not so much, you know, like journaling, but writing out why I'm doing things. I feel like it could be such a helpful practice because I was talking to somebody else and they were saying a really useful exercise for them was to think back about everything they were wrong about over the last year. And I think that's good because I think it's helpful to say, you know, okay, what mistakes did I make? But you're going to run into a lot of narrative fallacy where you'll... Especially in hindsight. Yeah, exactly. Because so that's why I was asking about journaling because... At least for me, for I mean, journaling means different things to different people, but I essentially just like write about what I'm feeling and then just like I have that, right? So I can look back and be like, oh, like literally a year ago, I was thinking this. And like, so what ends up happening a lot of times is I'll look back and be like, wow, I was so worried about this like six months ago. Mm. I don't even remember that this happened until I read this <laughs> journal entry yeah. that I was so annoyed about that I wrote about it. Right. It's like right. I, I don't write every day or anything. It's usually only when there's like something that's like on my mind that I just want to get out, but I don't necessarily want to like tell everybody about. Or it's like maybe I want to tell like certain people or whatever. You know, but it's like um I'm like a uh, verbal processor. Okay. So whether I'm speaking it or writing it, it like writing just sort of helps me flesh out my own thoughts. Yeah. So sometimes if I feel like, oh, I'm just confused about something, I'm gonna write write what I'm thinking and then pretty soon I'll figure out what I'm actually confused about as I'm writing. So that's sort of the the impetus for doing it. So when I look back a lot of the times, I'm like, if I was so annoyed about this thing that I needed to write about it and I wrote about it, like I was so pissed that this thing happened. And then I'm like looking back and I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that. I didn't remember that (laughs) happened until just now. (laughs) It really makes you feel a lot better about things that bother you in the moment. They're just like, oh, I'll probably figure this out. It's not that big of a deal. Well, he's got that in the book too, yeah. as a thing where it's, I think it's one of the principles that everything looks bigger up close. Yeah. Well, going back to what you were saying about the narrative fallacy thing, yeah. if you asked me today to reflect on the previous year, mm. my take would be very different. I could totally see narrative fallacy popping up. Yeah. That wouldn't necessarily help me moving forward as much because the problems today would look a lot bigger than what they would look like in a year. But 
also, okay, the other thing is like you would view everything today through the lens of what you're working on right now, which might not have been what was important or is important moving forward. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and but reflection is not a bad idea in general. No, I, I was actually just thinking about that too. One of the things that I've been thinking about a lot more with books like this is how does it impact my daily processes? Right. I mean, there's a lot here that you can actually incorporate into. It's almost too much. To, yeah. For one reading, at least. For <laughs> well, one but, reading. Yeah. but I think there's a couple of things, particularly writing out your principles, yeah. which I'm definitely starting to do now. Yeah. And then also doing this kind of journaling when you make a big decision, right? Because I, I can think of at least two or three important-ish business decisions I made yesterday that I should really go write down now while, while I'm thinking fresh. about. Yeah, while and it's you have fresh. your reasons fresh, too. You have my reasons fresh, Because also, yeah. if it didn't work, if you write about it in a year... You might point to like all the reasons why it didn't work. Yeah. But like those might not be the reasons why you did it. Right. That's the thing. It's like, and you'll be pretty uh, lenient on yourself. You could have still made the right decision, but just with the wrong results. And that's not necessarily always up to you. Or you just didn't have the right data. Right. Like I love this example Dalio gives in the book where he talks about, I think it was in 87 or something. He made these like very public predictions that the market was going to yeah. crash. Actually, no, eighty-seven. It did crash. It was another no, time. It was earlier. It, it was, was earlier. Yeah. It was with the gold thing, right? Oh yeah, the going gold off standard. the gold standard. Well, that that was the first one, and then there was Where a he thought it was going to go down like crazy, and then it went up, and then it went up, and then he was yeah. like, "What the fuck's happening?" Right. <laughs> yeah. And, but the the reasoning he gave was that he had only looked at events in his lifetime, right, right as opposed to looking at all of history. And right. when you look at all of history, it turns out that going off the standard into fiat actually had like good results. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a useful heuristic for me too, where it's kind of like availability heuristic, yeah. right? Where you'll latch onto information that's available and obvious to you. And you know, the which example, makes sense. which makes sense. Yeah. 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 You'll, you'll go with whatever salient. And so things that have happened in your lifetime are going to be more salient than what you can read in history books. And yeah, or, especially if you haven't read them. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest thing. But yeah. then also it'll be like, People get very influenced by like the time and setting and place and they'll be like, oh, we don't have like knights and castles or whatever anymore. But it's like right. people are still people. You well, it's kind of like, like philosophy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Letters from a Stoic. It yep. was written 2,500 years ago. I believe there's an episode I believe about, there right? is episode yeah. number two. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still relevant because it's like we're still dealing with the problems of how do you be happy, right? Yeah. How do you manage your emotions, yeah. right? What do you do when a loved one dies? Yeah. Uh, what's and that's, important. What's yeah, what's important. important. It's sort of like a good use of the Lindy rule is how old is the problem? Mm. That's how old of a resource you should read on it, right? And for a lot of economical stuff, the basis it's of the it is the same thing. It's pretty it's like, old. Yeah, it's managing yeah. resource, managing finite resources exactly like adam smith a lot of that is still pretty relevant yeah especially the like core psychological influences oh, on absolutely that. and i bet there's older stuff too that yeah, we absolutely. just i at least i haven't read but i'm sure smith's is stuff. just sort of like the herald yeah. yes. and it's yeah. in english which is helpful which helps yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has this section in here too where I think that he realizes, or he says, it. I guess we should mention too that all of this personal backstory, there's a lot of like, you know, pleasant narrative going on with it too, where he, he talks about like in his 20s, you know, realizing these things. And it's like, I'm sure he did on some level. Yeah. Right? But it's also, <laughs> it's like, it's hard to know exactly when these things got worked out. But he says that at some point he realized that the only way to succeed would be to seek out the smartest people who disagreed with him so he could try to understand their reasoning, to know when not to have an opinion, to develop, test, and systematize timeless and universal principles, and then to balance risks in a way that keep the big upside while reducing the downside. This reminds me of so many things that we've talked about too, like with anti-fragile in some ways. Well, that's like the downside, upside while reducing the downside. But then also like 
the seeking out the smartest people who disagree with them. Yeah. This is going to be a tangent, but I know it's going to get you going. So All right, let's do it. I'm going to bring this up. <laughs> this is like the opposite of what happens on college campuses today. Oh, this yeah. is like, well, like, to be fair, it's the opposite of what happens everywhere. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah I brought up the college campus <laughs> to get you riled up, but <laughs> I'll admit to that. Um, no, but it's like your arguments can improve if they're only up against people who agree with you already or the weakest version of the other person's argument, which I feel like happens. I think we talked about this I'm using ourselves to death, why I'm not the biggest fan of like the Daily Show or not the Daily Show, but uh, oh no, I like Colbert. I didn't like the the Daily Show that much. I think we were agreeing on that. Yeah, because they bring up like the weakest version of the other side's argument and then they're like, oh, look how stupid it is. Yeah. So this is like Dahlia was talking about here is again, the evolution thing where if it's going up against the strongest version of the disagreement it's like the better argument will emerge yeah a better argument and you'll, you'll learn a lot more you'll learn a lot more yeah you'll learn if you're even right you might be ro- totally wrong right and um, that's like that should be exciting yeah i mean that should I, be good <laughs> i was talking to somebody last night and i had like a lot of respect for him for bringing this up where he he basically asked he was like hey as friends you know could i send you what i tell clients to do from like an seo perspective and then for you to just rip it apart and tell me like where I'm wrong or where I might be missing things, like how it can improve. And it's like, it's such a fun exercise to do. And like, I love doing that too, seeing where you can improve those processes, but it's a hard thing to appreciate that as a good thing, right? Like somebody ripping apart your work. I mean, I know for me with like writing, that is, that is entirely how I have gotten better because I had a few really good editors who Who knew how to just just tear it apart, tear it apart. But that helps you though. It's so helpful. Yeah. 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 but I, and I feel like in certain areas, it's easier to get over that. It's where you don't have your ego involved. Exactly. When yeah. you have your ego involved, obviously it feels really shitty. Right. It's, it's never going to feel like great initially, but then like it does feel really good to see yourself get better. Yeah. Feels, feels good feels to get better. Really good. And then once you can like absorb and enjoy getting feedback that improves you, like you can branch that out to areas where you would normally have the ego too. Cause I think a lot of people yeah. have ego in their work yeah. and this is one of the, okay, now we'll talk about college. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, this is actually one of the things that I think uh, college is very destructive to students' minds about is that it forces you to put so much ego into your work and to not show it until it's perfect and mm-hmm. you believe it's perfect. And so any feedback at that point means that like you're not good enough, that yeah, you didn't a do a good enough game. job. Yeah, it's a very finite game because it's for a grade. Exactly. It's right? for a grade. It's not yeah. for like life. Yeah. Which it's not if for, it's for life, yeah. then you'd be like, oh, I want to just keep getting better. Keep getting better. Yeah. Right. But it's like a fixed, you know, yeah. it's it's like over exam. here. This exactly. is the exam. Like, well, how'd you do on it? And that's why a lot of startups don't like hiring designers and developers out of college mm. because they can't take feedback. Oh, and really? they won't okay. show yeah. something until they think it's perfect. They're not good at like rapid iteration yeah. where they're constantly getting, you know, feedback well, and improvements. That, now that you're managing people, are you seeing that? Like, is that something you you're obviously encouraging in your team, right? Is like show the progress. Like, it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. Like, I'm here to help you make it better. Well, so I actually like, use a lot of Dalio's terminology like oh, with cool. my team. Yeah, so what I kind of try to say every week is like, hey, we're building a machine, right? Like we're parts of this. Ideally, we can build something where literally anybody could come in and run this and so everything that we do needs to be focused on improving the machine right. to like grow people's sites right which is like i think it was this plus the goal plus emith that yeah. all have like made <laughs> made this actually <laughs> finally sink in but it's like not about getting one big client like right. in the past i'd always be like man if we just get that one big client like things will be amazing but now it's like it's like okay yeah one big client's great but that doesn't improve the machine. It could help you improve the machine. Yeah. But if you have no machine to get more leads or close more to get leads more big clients, better, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Well, because it's an infinite game. It's exactly. not a finite game. 
And it changes it changes like the way you run a business completely. Yeah. Well, he's got this in his work principles much later on that whenever you need to do something, like if you have to do a task and there's a relatively certain it will have to be done again in the future, he says like just build a machine for it. Don't just do the task mm. and it will take twice as long to build the machine. Yeah, exactly. But in the long term, that will pay off so much more, right? And that was sort of like my realization with consulting versus growing the marketing firm yep. is it was like doing consulting was all very one off, you know, checking yep. things off. Yep. Whereas with the firm, it's like you're constantly improving the machine yep. and like building your processes. Exactly. And that's, it's way more satisfying way more than you do it with your personal life too, yeah. right? Like spending a lot of time designing your own like personal machines for daily, your weekly, habits, monthly output habits. What are you doing in the morning? Exactly. Your you habits, yep. your routines, when you, know, when you do your reviews, like managing your to-do list, like taking time every day to just tweak that machine a little bit, like pays off so much in the long run, right? Like a 1% improvement per day is it's well over 50, 60% improvement in a month, right? Cause it's like compounding yeah. interest, yeah. right? And then yeah. it's hundreds of percents of improvement, maybe thousands over a year. Over a year. Yeah. And that's just one year. And that's just one year, right? <laughs> it's, it's like if you can keep that going, but it's also fun. It's like, yeah, a, it's, it's like a game fun. within the game. It sort of is. It's kind of meta yeah, in that a, sense. It's like yeah. you're trying to you're trying to build your business, obviously, right? But you're the bigger game that you're playing is trying to improve the machine of your business, right? Well, and those are sort of the two levels that Dalio talks about in the book: is yeah. that you have to see yourself as a part of the machine, and then you also have to see the as machine. the designer architect of as the, the designer architect well, of the machine. Exactly, it's really fun. You have to be able to step out, <laughs> yeah, and and also, I mean, you have to be able to assess yourself fairly objectively, right? Mm, yep. Uh, so I remember Tucker Max has a good article about this, where because with his new company, Book in a Box, he was the CEO for a while. And then I think eventually he just realized that, or he decided he wasn't a very good CEO. And so he had to like hire a CEO to come in and run his own company. But that right? takes like not having that big of an ego. Exactly. Too. You have to not have an ego. You yeah, have to uh, see uh, the machine. The founder not, of like, Dogfish Head did the same thing pretty recently, who's yeah. actually the new CEO is from CMU, which is pretty cool. So, uh, the guy was the COO, I think, for a couple of years. But basically, the, yeah, the same thing. The CEO realized like he doesn't really enjoy like the businessy parts of what he does. He loves designing recipes and he loves being in touch with the consumer, but not so much like figuring out how to raise debt financing and like mm. do like all of these things that a CEO has to be involved in. So he hired a CEO. Makes sense. And, but it takes you not having a giant ego to do that. You, you really have to be first and foremost focused on the machine. Yes. And then second focused on, on you. You. Yeah. Because your ego is going to say, well, I, of course I should be the CEO because like I started my this, company. My company. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, maybe not. You know, maybe and not if your goal person. is to make the machine run as well as possible, then you're like, okay, well, this piece of the machine, it doesn't matter if that piece is you or, you know, some person X, like it doesn't make any right. difference. It's just like we can improve the machine by exchanging this part with this part and it'll be better. And that's where the principles become so useful because if you let your biases and emotions influence the decision making, then you'll probably be more self-serving as opposed to machine serving. And it, you know, even for personal stuff too, we're talking a lot about business because that's where we end up applying this, but it's also just, you know, with your life, right? Yeah. You on the one hand, you might say, okay, well, on an individual level, I don't want to stop drinking because like drinking is fun. It makes me right. happy. But if you look at you as a person on a machine level, and it might not be working. 
drinking as well when you drink. Like I think you brought that up on the last episode, right? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. All your bad habits are all your bad habits come out. It. But but I'm just saying, like if you can step out and look at yourself yes. as a machine, yep. then it becomes obvious what the problems are, right? But you kind of have to be able to step outside. It's sort of like the the question it's of what advice would you give to your friend. That one's super helpful, I find. Yeah. For like, if your friend were you, what advice would you be giving them right now? Yep. And that's a good way to like step out. A very related thing is a. Uh, I forget it was not I don't think it was part of the biblical series but it was one of the Jordan Peterson podcast episodes and he said like you need to treat yourself like you would treat somebody you care about yeah because he's like you would think that's obvious that like oh obviously you care about yourself but so often we do not treat ourselves the same way that we would treat like a friend like right. if a friend was going through the exact same thing you would be like oh you should you know maybe try this or like and you'd be understanding but then when it's yourself, it's like, oh, I suck. You're like, yeah, we're hard gonna, on ourselves. I'm gonna like I'm feeling shitty. I'm gonna like give myself a ton of alcohol and like <laughs> do all these stupid things. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, so it's it's like we wouldn't treat like you wouldn't tell your friend to go do that. Like, oh, you're down, like you should go drink tonight. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Maybe you <laughs> would. I mean maybe, there's yeah, some well, situations. You might take the mallet and go have fun. Yeah, but, exactly. But yeah. it would be more about like the social part of that. Whereas a lot of, you know, like I know sometimes even I do the same thing. It's like, if I'm not feeling great or whatever, like I just don't want to interact with people, which is like a normal reaction, but, but you always feel better you if you friend. do. Exactly. Yeah, you feel out. so much better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know from like similar idea, I was thinking as I was reading this book, I was like, huh, what's one thing in my machine? Like if I don't do mm. uh, in personal life, not business, like that, I, if I don't do, like, I just don't feel good. And I've noticed like if I ever go like two days or three days without doing any kind of like real physical activity, like even like walking. Okay. It's okay. But like without like working out and some working out or playing a sport in some way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. I start not feeling good like mentally. And I usually am not good at stepping outside of myself at that point and figuring out why I'll just be like, oh, it sucks. And then like. Then if you want at some point you do realize you're like, wait, I haven't been to the gym in two days or three days. And it's like, maybe I should just go try that. Then there's like a battle going on in your head of like, oh, I don't want to go. I, I want to like stay it. home. Then you go and you feel great. Feel amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I like keep a note in my Evernote yep, of like so things smart. to do when you feel shitty. Yeah. Go and, to the gym is like definitely on. There. Yeah. Go to the gym is like number one. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like listen to certain music. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> clean. Cleaning works cleaning so well. I did that the so other well day. Yeah, yeah. I was feeling overwhelmed with like just how much I had to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remembered you told me that uh, maybe last week or two weeks yeah. ago about like the like just the like put everything in order, get exactly. to zero. Yeah. And so I did my dishes. I cleaned up my desk. And then I actually did not feel overwhelmed anymore. I felt really good. I, I still had the same number of tasks to do. But it was like, all right, things are like, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. yeah. We're fine. It's weird how that works. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, it seems silly to write that stuff down. But it only seems silly when you're not in that state. Yes. Because when you're in that state, you need something easy to tell you what to do because yes. you're just, you're kind of like a different person. Right. Right. And that person. Dalio like, talked about that too. Yeah. How we're the, like the multiple two per- use. Yeah. Right. I feel like he's read a lot of the stuff that we've been reading or. I'm uh, sure. I mean, he definitely reads widely. And then he also has all the neuroscience interest yes. from his yeah. son. Yeah. I was going to say the multiple personalities thing really remind me of Jung a lot. Mm. I think he mentioned Jung. He mentions Jung yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. And well, he likes Joseph Campbell. And he likes Joseph Campbell. Campbell I think that's one are, of his recommendations. Well, and Joseph Campbell is very influenced by Jung a lot as well. So Makes sense. Joseph Campbell books tend to have Jung references. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down like all of Dalio's recommendations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I think the books that I caught that he recommended were Here with a Thousand Faces, Lessons of History. I read that, by the way, Here that's, with a Thousand Faces. Oh, is it good? Uh, it was, it's more academic than any other Joseph Campbell book I've ever read. So like, you know, Power of Myth was like, yeah, not it's academic. very readable. So Here with a Thousand Faces, I feel like I need to reread. 
But I, so it was very interesting. Like the concepts were very interesting. It was just more um, much drier, I guess, than some of the other ones. But yeah. it was powerful still. Okay. Lessons of history I've not read. Lessons of history is great. We should maybe do that sometime. Yeah, I have, I'd be very interested in that. That's like uh, Will Durant. Yeah, it's right. it's Will and Ariel. So they wrote it together just based off of like condensing all of their learnings over the years. I'm so down for that one. What Spiritual it, Brain looked good too. That was the one that was like, um, what was that one about? It's like the neuroscience of religion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that, I that would be interesting that too. Yeah. He said the Dalai Lama recommended that to him or something. I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Casual name No, it was drop. actually. It was from the Dalai Lama. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. So the Dalai Lama <laughs> recommends books to me. Yeah. <laughs> we should get him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no the problem. Dalai Lama, yeah, no problem. <laughs> uh, hey, you never know. Hey, you never know. It's, it's only episode, what, this is 16 maybe? Yeah, this will be something 15, like that. 15? So many, we're losing count. 15. 15. We're getting there. Yeah, there maybe Dalai Lama. Another year or two. On. Get yeah. the Dalai Lama on. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, should we jump into some of these uh, principles? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. I think what'll make the most sense is we'll we'll go through the big life principles because those I find are the most broadly applicable, yeah. and then we can jump around in the work principles a bit. So some tangents along the way. Yeah, throw in some tangents. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, and I guess he starts off the principles section by talking about how these develop. And I really like this distinction where he says that if you write down every kind of encounter you have, the loss of a job, a personal disagreement, you're late for something, and compile them in a list, it would probably total just a few hundred items and only a few would be unique to you. And then you can develop principles for every kind of interaction. And it's pretty true. true. Yeah, (laughs) You really only end up doing so many different things in a day. Even if it feels like you're, you know, crazy startup environment, whatever, like you're really only doing. It's not that different. Yeah. There might be one new thing every couple of weeks. But aside from that, it's a lot of the same stuff. Right. Which might just feel overwhelming. Even the one new thing might feel overwhelming. But to your brain, it feels like a lot of new things, (laughs) even though it's just one. (laughs) And it it might seem like a new thing, even though it's really just the same old thing with like a slight bit of nuance. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, if you're, you know, if you're in an argument with a loved one, right, the The same argument has happened probably before. Well, not not just that, but the same techniques for calming it down will probably work almost every time. Yeah. Right. And so if you write the principles based on that, then you can usually like end up applying them in the same way. And so that's sort of what he does with a lot of his life and his work stuff, right? Where these are really simple rules for engagement in areas where you're unsure. It reminded me in some ways too of, you know how like, uh, was it Steve Jobs? It was in the Steve Jobs autobiography, I think, or not autobiography, biography, uh, where he wears the same thing or wore the same thing every day to take a decision out of like his conscious thinking. Right. And I feel like those principles are somewhat like that, where if you encounter a situation you've already encountered before, you already have your rules for dealing with it. So you kind of don't have to, like, it's not that you don't have to think about it, but it's like, makes the decision easier. It saves a little mental energy. Yeah. You're not encountering it for the first time. Yeah. And it's sort of like systems thinking too, where the more you can design a system to manage something for you, the more you are free to design new systems, right? It's like even just something simple, like templating things out. Or, I mean, this is one of my favorite ones. Do you use Calendly? Uh, is that for the scheduling? Yeah, it's for thing? scheduling. I don't, but I really should. It, it's, I really it's should. It's saves so much time. I know. Yeah, I it's, know. it's and and then on top of that, I have a hotkey on my computer for sending people a link to my oh, Calendly. Yeah. So if if somebody wants to get on the phone with me, I literally type like exclamation point chat, and it drops a link in to the conversation where they can just click on the link and go schedule a time on my calendar, right? And it has your calendar. And it has my calendar and it sends them my phone number. It sends me their phone number, puts it on both of our calendars and like little things like that, right? It just makes life so easy. And it's not, you know, it's not a principle, but it's the same type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's making it easier, like taking away a 
roadblock. Yeah, taking away a roadblock, removing a constraint. Yep. Mm, I'm <laughs> <that>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of the goal, the goal. <laughs> episode before this, number 14. Also, Calendly is not an ad. Calendly is not an ad. Yeah, <laughs> we should do that too. You know, we're, we just, yeah, we're not quite there goal. yet, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like there's so many little ways that you can augment your output by designing systems. And then principles are a way to augment your output through like making algorithms for your decision making. Yeah. And he talks about that too, where it's like wherever you can create software that does it for you because that will avoid repeatable the biases. Yeah. And I love that they've literally built apps internally at yeah. Bridgewater to do these really cool. things. Yeah. Especially for arguments and stuff. Because you can say, like, oh, I like how they record conversations. What's that? Uh, they, they record meetings. Yeah, they record all their meetings really and make them public. Yep. Like, that's kind of crazy. But. Yeah, but it's kind of, no, but it, it makes a, well, he said besides certain things. Besides like certain, certain sensitive like, things. Yeah, sensitive like things. People related things. But, like, yeah. for decision making, that actually makes a ton of sense. Well, because you can go back and listen to it. You can go back and listen to it. And everyone's thought process is out in the open in that sense where, okay, I can't tell you how many meetings we had when I was doing work with Estee Lauder that, and this is probably true in every big company. If it's not somebody, please tell me that maybe my experience was different, but there would be one main meeting with like a few of the decision makers. And then they would go like explain what happened in that meeting to their Uh own teams who would then tell their own teams about it. So you'd end up with like probably for like a one hour high level decision maker meeting that would be like what would be called cascades down of like probably 20 hours of other maybe not 20 hours but like five or six hours of of other meetings that come on the calendar but then you multiply that by each employee think about how much productivity is lost a lot of time it's a lot of time it's like a week of a person's time probably yeah that's like lost doing those meetings or more that's, and they could just listen to, the, just recording. Listen to the recording yeah yeah <laughs> or somebody could listen to the recording create the highlights which is what they were doing so they literally hired somebody to edit the audio yeah which it makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. And it's a, it's a good way for yourself too, I imagine, to just record your decision making. If typing it out seems like too much, just make a little audio note, isn't throw it in Evernote. Isn't there that psychological heuristic of like, uh, you will always, you, you will like misremember your own decision yeah. making? Yeah. Well, because memory, it's not recorded, right? And so like every time you remember something, you're remembering the last time you remembered it. <laughs> and so it's basically a game of telephone with yourself where the older memory is, the more it's been like reinterpreted. And then you throw in a little bit of like, self-affirming bias and all of that and it's like oh well no obviously like i was wrong about this because you know <laughs> like the weather was bad yeah. and it was making me unhappy and that's why i was illogical <laughs> right like no 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 <laughs> so no that's why i think it's like well that maybe goes back to the journaling thing but yeah. it's like that's true for your own arguments with yourself but this is like very true in like a, any kind of group decision making as well it's like this will force your organization to be more rational, I guess. Yeah. Right. Well, and everybody will have to think about that too in the meeting is that my reasoning for this will be broadcast to the entire company. Right. Right. So I need to be honest. And you need to know what you're thinking. Yeah. Just like show up to the meeting and be like, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. Like what I think (laughs) based on what other people are saying. Because, well, I guess you could still do that, but it would be pretty obvious in the recording. If you weren't prepared. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. And they like, they call each other out for that too. I think that was in the book where Ray showed up or Dalio showed up to a meeting like unprepared. Yeah. And then his, one of his subordinates like gave him shit in an email after for it. No, but that I think is like, 
radically important. I mean, I don't manage a ton of people right now, but everyone on my team as well, like I make it as clear as I possibly can that please tell me if I'm doing something wrong. It's not just like, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. And even if it does, it should hurt my feelings. Like I should, I should like know if I'm doing something wrong Yeah. or if they're if like, I'm causing a bottleneck or like, like, please tell me it's great. Like we should want to know. And I think like you kind of have to make it super, super clear to people because otherwise human brains are wired to really respect hierarchy. And so it's really hard to get accurate information if you're the manager from your people because they'll tell you what they think you want to hear. And they want to look good too. They want to look good. So you really have to kind of create the, like that's when, I guess when people are talking about culture, like that's really something you need to build into your culture. Yeah, it's hard too. It's really hard. No, I think like that you needed these kind of principles to make it actually happen. Well, and you kind of have to weed people out. I think something like he says half that a lot. People, yep. yeah, yeah, half the people don't make it through the boot camp at Bridgewater. It makes, sense. makes sense. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be natural to get used to uh, like speaking with people this way. Right. Have you ever hung out with somebody who works at Bridgewater? Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah, I, I lived with a guy uh, for about a month who worked there. Oh, cool. and a little like it was only a month because it didn't no, work no, out. No, okay. just, I, was, <laughs> I was subletting an apartment. <laughs> Dude is an asshole. No, yeah. no, no. He's a super nice he guy. Kept telling me <laughs> I need to do my dishes better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's a re- uh, really nice guy. He was fun to live with. It was, but I could definitely see some of this come through where he was just very comfortable saying his opinions on anything like about anyone like to their face. And like that, it was actually really refreshing because I try to do that, but I definitely no, we filter all it a lot. Yeah. I, I probably filter like less than a lot of people, but for him, he was just oh, like, Oh really? Not? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for him, it was, he just like was totally comfortable and, you know, and he wanted it too. Right. And that was really nice. And I could see how that would be useful for like business and for relationships. And, yeah, exactly. And for, for like everything. Yeah. Cause I feel like in, uh, he mentions this too, like there are things that just go unsaid for so long, yeah. but everyone's thinking them. And then it just blows up at a certain point. Right. I mean, that, that could be true for business. That could be true for relationships. That could be true for like anything that involves interpersonal communication. And by bringing it out in the open, it sort of diffuses the situation. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to suck in the moment, but it might be, it's definitely good for the long run. Well, yeah. And he, he talks about that as one of the, I think it's one of the work principles that problems don't get better over time, that you just kind of have to deal with them right away and take care of them. And uh, I guess we, because he relates it back to when he had cancer or he had a cancer scare. Yeah, yep. And he was saying that, like, obviously, it's scary if you think you're sick, but it's much better to go get all the information than to, like, wait and pretend that, you know, it's not actual reality, right? Like, you should be focused on gathering the truth. I think that's... Which I think brings us to the first... The first principle. principle. Yes. <laughs> Which is to embrace reality and deal with it. So... It reminded me of, like, the 50th law a little bit, because that was, like, I think mm, the first thing in the 50th law as well. Yeah. By Robert right. Greene. Got it right here. Let's pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> Might not have been the first one, but it was it was definitely it's, it's in there. Definitely it's definitely in there. In there. Yeah. That's chapter two. two. Ooh, let's see. See things for what they are. Intense realism. Yeah, there we go. Good memory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first principle. You know, I've only read that once, though. Really? I've only read the 50th law once. I'm really happy that that stuck. Yeah, yeah. I think I've only read it once, too, but I've taken pretty detailed notes on it. Yeah, it was a great one. It might be his best one. That's what I was going to say. I think 50th law and mastery. 50th law is his most accessible, as as his mastery, I think, is probably the second most accessible. I enjoy 48 laws of power a lot, probably because maybe I'm like, slightly psychopath and he talks about a lot of psychopath <laughs> things 
I don't well, know. I just like I get so much joy out of like all these like tri- trickery situations that he talks about. In the yeah, book. I'm just like ah, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and it's also a lot of historical little like anecdotes that are just so clever. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. It's just it's hard to get through. It should be like a college course. Yes. It shouldn't be a book, right? <laughs> yeah. Or it should be like a 48 video series on YouTube or something. It's just it's so hard it's so to dense. consume. It's like so. Dense. It's really hard to read it straight, but it's not that hard if you're like okay, I'm just gonna read this one law. Yeah, it's I'm just like, gonna read one law at a time, like one a night, and yeah. go that way. Not so bad. I read it in an office when I didn't like YouTube was blocked, Facebook was blocked, uh, like everything was blocked. So I had like it was that or just like stare at the time. wall. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is more interesting. Than that. It sounds like that the summer I worked at a consulting firm. Yeah, same. I was working at a consulting firm. Yeah, there was like it was so easy to just get your work done really quickly, yep. and then I would sit in the corner and read <laughs> yeah. for like three quarters of my day. <laughs> yeah. So this is, I feel like, one of the most useful principles. This whole embrace reality and deal with it. There's a reason it's first in the book, right? This whole idea of embracing reality because everything else stems from it. Yeah, totally. And like, you know, the radical honesty requires you to embrace reality. Fixing problems requires embracing reality. The whole five-step improvement process requires embracing reality. You literally can't improve or evolve, which is a big theme, like we've been saying, unless you can truly acknowledge the reality of your situation. And it's also maybe the hardest one that he talked about, because if you can get past this, everything else feels easy and i don't know when i say get past it maybe makes it sound like oh i have it all figured no it's like this is hard for me too oh yeah it's hard for everyone especially when reality is not good yeah like when you're in a bad situation yeah Yeah. i mean i i kind of like went through this recently where i had to realize that i just like gotten really overconfident in a lot of my work and i wasn't putting the same like promotion and stuff Mm -hmm. effort into it because i just thought like oh it's just magically gonna work out on its own because like i had a few things work out and like that's not a fun realization that you've been like (laughs) like hamstringing your own projects because you're like overconfident, but it's like really useful once you do realize something like that, because then, okay, you know how to fix it. Right. And so you're not going to keep running into the same problems. And that's really the whole system he's providing here is the basic equation. He gives us pain plus reflection equals progress, right? Where if you can develop this reflexive action to pain that causes you to reflect on it rather than avoid it, it'll lead to your rapid learning and evolving, right? Go towards the pain rather than avoid it. Exactly. Go towards the pain. Don't avoid it. And that's, I mean, it's so helpful too, because I mean, going back to like the goal, the theory of constraints, right? The pain is probably some form of bottleneck. Yeah. It's probably the constraint. And so if you can go towards that pain and fix it, then you will continue to grow. I was actually thinking of finite infinite games too, because it's like the boundary. Remember he's like infinite players play with the boundaries. Exactly. And that's what the pain is. And you're hitting up against a boundary, basically. The only way to, you know, expand the boundary is to move towards whatever is limiting it. Right. Yeah. Crazy how all these things are connected. Like, I know it's just, I think it kind of goes back to like, there's only so, there's only so many really deep down core ideas and there's a lot of different reflections and interpretations and ways to reshape them into new things. And so I feel like it's relatively easy to connect things together from a philosophical level. Or this is just a total cognitive bias. On yeah. Part. And we're just like, oh, or it's, it's not reading diverse it's enough the, books. Well, it's the availability heuristic, right? Yeah, exactly. Where it's like the car thing where it's like when you buy the, a certain type of car, you see that car everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Maybe it's the same thing. That's true. There's a lot of things Probably that we talk both. about that we don't relate to the other books. Yes. Right. That's true. Although I feel like the core idea is anyway. <laughs> Plus, it's us choosing the books. It's so. it is us choosing the books. Yeah, I feel like we end up talking about this every week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I keep bringing that up. But we already talked about this. Think of yourself as a machine operating within a machine. Yeah, I think that's such a good way of thinking of just life and business. Yeah, and he gives a really useful uh, sort of like five step process for confronting your own weaknesses. Mm. 
which is to uh, don't confuse what you wish were true with what is really true. That's so hard. Sometimes. Yeah, hard, but it's necessary. Really yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry about looking good. Worry instead about achieving your goals, right? Probably especially hard as a manager or any kind of public person, yeah. right? It's like you have to focus more on the outcome, not on how you appear. Uh, don't overweight first order consequences relative to second and third order ones. That's when I feel like no, I hadn't read written out this way. But it's so useful. And I don't think a lot of people do. Them. Yeah, it's and it's hard to think about because it it's easy to just focus on, you know, what's salient. But he gives the example of going to the gym. Right. And I mean, like working out isn't necessarily pleasurable a lot of times, especially <laughs> no. if you're doing like sprints <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Like it's not like fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but you feel amazing afterwards. And sometimes it's in a weird way, if you reshape the way your brain thinks about it, yeah. it actually feels good. Even it's like, oh, I feel like I'm about to puke. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> but like, you can actually feel like you're having fun sometimes when yeah. you're in a hard workout. Yeah, no, it definitely can. But for, I mean, even I know a lot of times it does not. Yes. Yeah, for, for somebody who doesn't already exercise, right? Going to the gym sounds unpleasurable. Right. But so the first order consequence is bad, but the second order is that you'll feel good after. And the third order is that you'll be like way healthier. Right. Right. So all are good things. All good things. Well, maybe not the first order, but second and third order. Second and third order. Yeah. Make it worthwhile whereas like staying at home and watching tv and first eating jelly order, beans yeah exactly like yeah probably like first order first order of like pleasurable great, great. Yeah. yeah second order you're gonna like atrophy and become right. overweight you know and like all sorts of bad consequences from that so i only say jelly beans because i was eating jelly beans i was gonna yesterday. say jelly beans was a very specific, specific example <laughs> i ate jelly beans yesterday and it felt really good but then i was like i probably should go work out now <laughs> and i did and that was fine well, but, so then, then it had a good second order consequence. it did it motivated you to the gym that's true. Probably Nat was in my head. <laughs> like, Jocko. sugar is bad for you. <laughs> uh, I just want a jelly bean. <laughs> it's always hard to think long term, right, over short term, which is essentially what this is. Yeah. But it's good advice for everything, especially in business. I was going to say, it's like it reminded me of the metric thing where you like optimize for a certain metric. Mm. And then, yeah, I mean, you're the one who brought this up for me, like, I think way back. But it was like when you optimize for that metric, you have to pay attention to like how that metric can be gamed. Because that's going to affect what else is going on in the overall business system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like if you optimize for like, so one thing that's came up with one of my salespeople is like, we were trying to get him to make more touch points every day, like more calls or whatever, you know, or follow ups or whatever, because his success rate was really good when he got a hold of somebody. So I was like, okay, well, if you just increase that, like, in theory, like his success rate would stay the same amount. Right, and then we right. just make more, we just get more customers. Make more Great, money. Awesome. Easy. Yeah. But what turned out to be actually be happening was the reason he wasn't reaching out to as many people is he was doing a lot, really thorough job of researching mm. before. But then when I told him to like, I was like, okay, you can probably do a little bit less research, just like try to make more calls. And then his conversion rate went down because he probably didn't know what he was talking about as much on each of the calls because it wasn't as specific to who he was talking to. And at the end of the day, he ended up feeling like he was doing like a lot more work with the same results. Mm. And so the second order effect was that the quality of those calls would go down. Conversion rate went down. Makes sense. And yeah, but it's like really hard in the moment to think about that because you just see it on like a spreadsheet like oh well number of calls number of conversations number of closes we just pump up we the number of calls up the number of calls things should go great good to go <laughs> but there's a second order consequence. second order consequence yeah so. that's the third way to confront your own weaknesses next is don't let pain stand in the way of progress i feel like this has come up a lot right it's just a big part of any personal growth or company growth or whatnot is being able to just push through the hardest things it's usually a good guide too for what you should be doing is whatever seems the scariest yeah. or the hardest or what you're most 
like afraid of what you're not sure that you can yeah, what you're not sure you can do yeah. or what you're procrastinating on that's probably the thing you need to go do most yeah. right like for me it's doing sales stuff mm. but because i like i've just well, never, we're very different people yeah i've never been good at sales. <laughs> okay i shouldn't say i've never been good i'm, I'm like pretty good at it i yeah. just hate doing it yeah. uh Okay, I shouldn't say, hey, I just dislike doing it. It's not what I want. Like, I want to write and read and stuff. I don't want to, like, get on the phone and tell somebody you think to about it money. Like a, you should think about, like, a psychological experiment or, like, a live... I, I don't know. I've gotten a, better at making myself do it, but my point is sort of that's always the thing I'm running yes, from, but it's exactly what I need to be doing yeah. for the business, right. right? And so it's it's a good heuristic in that way. No, it makes sense. And then don't blame bad outcomes on anyone but yourself. A little extreme ownership. I was going to say extreme ownership. <laughs> yeah. Another good book. Uh, but basically, even if it's not your fault, there's always some way you played into it. And Especially if you, you're the architect of the system. Oh, yeah. Especially if you built the machine or you have a hand in building the machine. Anything the machine does wrong, you have done wrong effectively. Yeah. So Which is figure true. Out, and yeah, that's very true. That sense, it's true. Even if an employee is the one who messed up, if it's your system, then you might have messed up in hiring them. You might have messed up in like the objectives they were given, might have messed up in your training. Like there's all sorts of things. But ultimately, as the architect of the machine, it points back to you. Exactly. So you have to figure out where it went wrong and how you can improve it as opposed to just like, like, oh, well, that person screwed up. Yeah. And so this. You see that too. There's some companies that have such a churn of people. And they like, or not even, sorry, not companies, managers Mm. uh, in any company, right? You'll see there's like certain people who like, they keep seeming like they're just churning through people. And it's probably something with that person's system as opposed to the people they happen to hire. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I worked at a company that had a very bad habit of hiring people and firing them like within three months. Oh, wow. Three months is a short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they would bring them on for like three months, like trial periods. Yeah. And then, but even people who lasted longer would like get fired. And it was usually like kind of a without warning thing. But this company is notorious for like having pretty bad management, right? And so clearly the problem, but internally they would talk about like trying to hire better people who are going to be better fits for the system. And I didn't think about it then, but now looking back, it's obvious that the problem was management and like knowing how to grow the people and like find the best place for them and help them fit, not like constantly churning and burning and trying to find new people, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's surprising that it's, I mean, it's been a problem there for years. And it's surprising that, do you think they realize it or no? I don't know. That's a good question, right? Because it's it, it could be one of those things where it's like you have a friend who's, you know, like who goes out partying too much and all of their friends realize it, but nobody says it to them. Yeah. And like maybe they kind of realize it, but, but they not, still don't fix it, right? So I don't know. Yeah, it might be one of those things. Yeah, hard to say. But the embracing reality and dealing with it gives us this five-step process to get what you want out of life, which to me is, I feel like, the most useful tactical thing from absolutely book. it's amazing process it's very similar to theory of constraints but it uses it in sort of a new way and it's stated very clearly oh yeah and it's it's so easy to build this into your own systems so i've actually updated my quarterly and weekly planning a little bit based on this because it's a good way to yeah it is like go through the process with yourself so the five-step process actually you go ahead Rita. i read the last thing okay <laughs> <laughs> we take turns here yeah sharing um, All right. So the first step of the five-step process is have clear goals, which I think is pretty self-evident, but makes a ton of sense. But it also requires, you know, some reflection, some reflection, some dealing with reality. You have to... Well, absolutely. Because it's like, if you think that, okay, like a consulting business, right? Like any consulting business, you could be the next like Accenture or the next like BCG or McKinsey or whatever, right? So that's like one set of possibilities. Or it could be a boutique shop that does very well and takes very good clients, is very selective about who it takes. Or it could be the type of consulting agency, which is like 
always scrambling, like doesn't do a good job and like nobody actually likes them. But yeah. like, obviously you're not gonna make that your goal, but setting your goals, like there's a very different path to becoming like a BCG versus becoming a boutique agency, right? So if you have then, to know what you're aiming towards. Exactly. And then it affects what you do based on that. So having some reflection on where you want to be, I think makes a big difference in what your steps would be Definitely. to get there. Uh, all right, next one. Identify and don't tolerate the problems that stand in the way of you achieving those goals. That sounds like the goal. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's very much like theory of constraints, yeah. right? You identify the constraint, you fix it, and then you like move on to the next one, yep. right? And so you have to be able to honestly assess whatever problems you're encountering and then make the changes you need to. And sometimes they're going to be hard, right? Yeah. And sort of like we were saying before, if you're running a company and you realize the biggest constraint is that you're not good at managing the company, like that's what you have to fix. You yeah. have to find somebody who can do that job do a better for you, job, yeah. Right? And I think for a deeper dive in that, the goal episode is, that's like literally all about this. Yeah. So we won't go too much more into that here. Uh, the third one is accurately diagnose the problems to get at their root causes. I like that one a lot. The root causes thing is huge. Yeah. I really like that distinction because it's it's sort of like the Toyota five whys, right? Yeah. You have to really dig in to figure out what is causing a problem. Otherwise, you'll just confront the surface level right. issue, right? right? It's sort of like a, the example I always think of is statins. Okay. So, you know, American cholesterol levels have been like going up over the last 30, 40 years. And so we basically created drugs to lower them called statins, right? Because we saw like this one to number to lower the metric, to lower the metric, right? Lower the level of cholesterol without fixing the cause for cholesterol going up, right. which was this shitty standard American diet yeah. of like processed foods and, you know, high carbohydrates right. and like no fats, right? Yeah. Did you say margarine's not better than butter? Oh my God, dude. <laughs> I think margarine's illegal now. I'm just <laughs> that was literally in the article I published today or yesterday. Oh yeah. Was, uh, I was, you know, for people who didn't know what the Lindy effect was, I was saying that like, you know, we've been eating butter as a species for like literally thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And then like in the 1900s, like this thing called margarine came out. Yeah, like we can do it better than like, nature. Better than butter. Yeah. yeah trans and fats. Then, and then the article I linked to was like, was like now butter is like becoming popular again. And margarine is literally being found to actually kill you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it, it, uh, yeah, it's crazy. So that's what the root cause, right? The root cause is the shitty diet. Right. But if you just look at the surface level problem of you know, oh, this cholesterol number is too high, then you might take statins. And statins are like really bad for you. Right. I mean, there's like relatively convincing evidence that they increase your chance of Alzheimer's and dementia. Yeah, I think this, maybe we didn't bring up that part, but we definitely talked about statins on Antifragile, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Taleb talks about that. Talks about also. a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's no, but I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. So you got to get a root cause. And then, you know, for business stuff, right, it might seem like it's something that happened once, but it could be a default with the machine. It well, could be, you know, a person's really not a good so fit. I think also thinking about these as a step-by-step -step thing makes yeah, it really helpful because I was thinking about it as I was reading this part where it's like, okay, have clear goals. Okay, your goal is, you know, in the next 12 months, you want to close like, you want to have like a revenue of whatever, right? Like right. make up whatever the number is that you think is your goal. Okay, a million dollars or something. Okay, what are the problems that stand in the way of you achieving those goals? Not having enough sales. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, so then... Like, what are the root causes of that problem? Yeah. Okay, first one, you could be like, well, I don't have enough salespeople. And it's like, okay, well, is that really the root problem? Or is the problem, you know, you don't have enough leads for the salespeople you have now? Could it be that the leads aren't high quality enough? Could it be that your product isn't what they want? Yeah. Could it be like, there's all these root things that you could go down, but it's a really good way of thinking because then you can be like, okay, no, it's probably not that because, you know, you can have your reasons for why it's not. And then you get to like, okay, what is the actual roadblock here that I can get out of the way? And yeah, it's really, really useful. It makes you question yourself too a bit more when you say something is a certain 
problem, right? Because then you can pause and say, okay, well, is there a problem deeper than that that might be yes, causing it? Exactly. And a lot of the time it comes back to fairly simple things, whereas the surface level problem is more complex, right? So, oh yeah, the surface level looks really, complex. looks really complex, but like deep down, there's probably a fairly simple thing that is causing it, but that deeper one is going to be harder to confront. Right. Or it might like seem scarier. And so you avoid it and just like deal with the surface level things. Right. It's sort of, it's sort of like the, you know, bad diet being overweight. Right. So you take a diet pill because that's easy. The hard, scary thing is actually improving your diet, changing your lifestyle. Yeah. Right? So that's a like, great point. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You kind of have to dig down and be very honest right? about what that. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, assess reality, figure out what the real deep problem is right. and then attack that instead of the surface level symptoms. Yeah. yeah, it's symptoms versus the actual cause. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So step four is design plans that will get you around them. So I think that's also fairly. Yeah. We've been talking about that. Just talking now. about that a yeah. lot, right? Um, step five is do what's necessary to push those designs through to results. So and that I think is like pain. exactly. So whether it's painful, so yeah, it's like it could be okay. You never exercise, so you know, of course, you're maybe you can be overweight, and then do what's necessary is like. It doesn't matter what pain that's going to cause is like, okay, yeah, if you've never run before and you're going to go run, it's going to suck. Yeah, it's not going to be <laughs> It's going to be horrible. <laughs> um, yeah. But you just got to push towards it. And then, yeah. Oh, it's sort of like, uh, I mean, if you're like addicted to heroin, right? The solution to that is like the most painful thing that you can do, yeah. just like to get off of it. Yeah. yeah. But there's really not going to be any surface level thing you can do that will be anywhere near as effective as actually doing the root down thing that you need to know. And it's like a very easy example because like, you know yeah. exactly what you need to do. And it's right. just like the most painful thing right. you can do exactly. in that situation. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Don't envy people who have to do that. So he, he gives a few clarifications around each of these points. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how the principles part is organized where he outlines like kind of a grand principle and then there's like sub principles of that and then sub 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 sub, sub principles. principles within that it's a very like outline well outlined book yeah well i mean it literally is an outline yeah as a book exactly yeah. it seems great as like a reference like something that you'll be looking at like for years that's what i thought about reading it too especially the work principles because the work principles section is quite a bit drier than yes. the life principles yep. and so with those it was just sort of like skim through for any high level ones that look interesting right now and then yeah right but then now, six months from now might be totally different exactly what you're thinking about depending yeah. on what problem you're dealing with in your business there's probably something in there that will help you right yeah. So the third principle then is to be radically open-minded, which is part of, you know, dealing with reality and also going through the five-step process is that you have to be, again, really open-minded. And so there's basically two uh, impediments to this, which is your ego and your blind spots. So you're always going to have like some ego, some sense of, you know, oh, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want somebody to be smarter than me. And you have to get around that to like actually get at the truth of the situation. And then you're always going to have blind spots where you don't know what you don't know. And you have to be willing to like let somebody else fill in those gaps in your knowledge and be open to hearing other things that you haven't thought of before. Yeah. And uh, but I think by knowing what you're not good at, you can really help like get help with that where it's like, you know, you hire like, let's say you are super detail oriented but you miss the big picture sometimes mm -hmm. working with somebody who thinks more big picture than you is probably a good idea yeah. or the other way around too like when well, that's what he mentions is one of the ways to adapt yeah. right is like you either teach your brain to work in a way that it doesn't come naturally which i think is super useful too useful really hard though it's really really hard <laughs> yeah like I, I think i mentioned this maybe in one of the first few times we were talking about building systems mm -hmm. is like I really enjoy building systems, but I don't enjoy building like procedures to manage those systems. Mm, yeah. Like I love like the early stages when it's kind of you and maybe you and a couple other people and you kind of have like full, like the whole world is open to possibility. But then as you start narrowing in on like what your actual goal is, then you need to build like procedures and like 
obviously it needs to become more process driven, I guess, right? And that step is not a fun one or doesn't, it's fun, but it doesn't come naturally to me. And so like now I try to like overly compensate for that by like thinking about like, where would a system be good here? Or like, what can we templatize here that would be good? And yeah, it's just like, it's not easy though. It's never like, it feels somewhat painful. Yeah, definitely time. painful. And you almost have to create forcing mechanisms for exactly. it, right? Like I always find that a good way to make myself start to get more into systems mode is to just overload myself with work because yes. then you have like no choice That's but to figure so out. so good, yeah. yeah. Like you have literally <laughs> no choice but to figure out how to hire people or develop like automations and whatnot to take yeah. it over, yeah. right? That's <laughs> such a good idea. <laughs> Uh, so part of being radically open-minded, well, he's, he calls out practicing radical open-mindedness as a separate sub-principle. But what I like in here is this two-step process for decision-making, which is that you take in all of the relevant information and then you decide. I think we're tempted to get like a bit of info and then, you know, make a decision and then get a bit more info and change our decision, like more info, change our decision, like keep updating it. And that's, it's not like a great process. It'd be better to just get all the info up front and then say, okay, now what do I do? Which is why when the five-step process, he mentions like, collecting all of those potential sources of the problem and then identifying the root, right? Where like you were saying the sales issue, right? right. Could you, be it could not be enough deal flow. They don't have enough time. They're being inefficient, right? Like you need another salesperson. You have to collect yeah. all of those. There's all these buckets basically where yeah. it could be possible issues. Right. But yeah, collecting all of them probably makes the most sense. And then you make the decision. Right. Otherwise you might just, I think what happens a lot of times, I'm like totally guilty of this too, is like you think through like what the different you un- get you gather like a bunch of the information, but then whichever one is the first one that comes up that confirms what you already believe. Yeah, then you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, no, that's like, great. That's the right one. Yeah, but or it's the easy solution. It's the easy one. Yep, yeah. it's the one you want it to be. It's the one you want it to be. Yeah, that's why you hire the management consultant to come in and tell you to do the thing that you want to do, and then way. you ignore them, and then you ignore them. Yeah, <laughs> you get back to them like six months later. I'm finding actually the um, this is related. This is not a tangent. Okay. I promise. Go for it. That the idea of like all the things we've been reading have sort of like made me more aware that this idea of the self is kind of an illusion, right? Like, I mean, it's there, but it's kind of like your multiple brains, your multiple personalities trying to give you this illusion that you're one unified self. Oh, yeah, yeah, And I find like realizing that makes me really suspicious of when I want something. It's mm-hmm. like, which me is the one that actually wants that? Especially when it's like my like conscious rational brain is like, this is too easy. Like the answer can't be like the one that you thought it was going to be. Because you probably don't know the right answer. Otherwise, you would have already solved the problem. Yeah. Right? So it's like when trying to think through like when there's a problem and finding a solution instead of going for the first one that confirms your already held belief, Mm -hmm. which is the natural thing I think to do, kind of like being very suspicious of that is helpful. That makes sense. Because you're like, it's probably the part of my brain that just doesn't want to work. That's like, yeah, that's the right one. You don't have to think anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Like it wants to chill or wants to do an easy thing. (laughs) Or wants to do things it already knows it's good at. Already knows it's good at. Yeah. That's always the hard part is making yourself do the things that you know you have to get better at. That you don't already know. And that you know you're not good. And that you know you're not good at. That's harder. It's like, because you you know you're not good at something and you're like, I still got to do that. Then... Because you're not going to get better otherwise. Got to so. create like a forcing function to yeah. make yourself do it. Yeah. But I think when he's talking about, uh, maybe this was the section before, but he's talking about overcompensating for something, mm-hmm. like purposely compensating for something. That's what I think it kind of does is like if you're suspicious mm-hmm. of what your brain naturally gravitates to, then you're compensating, I guess, for that. Yeah. Well, and, and again, having systems and clear principles and, you know, any algorithms for decision making. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, yeah. That takes the thought out of it. It takes a lot of thought out yeah. of it. I mean, this is something that I realized just sort of this last week for Growth Machine was that 
I needed to create, like at least internally, very clear price packages and you know offerings, mm, yeah. because since just because of what we do, it'd be really easy to make like something custom for each right. you know, client. <laughs> but that's going to get really messy right. really fast. Yep. Oh, and yeah. then like everybody <laughs> wants something a little bit custom. I sort of have to just be like, no, like this is what we do, yep. and like that's what we're going to do, and <laughs> yep. you know that's what you have to go with. And like if not, then like be willing to walk away, right? Because if I let myself get into the discussion i'll always want to like i don't, I don't know it's like I, i'm i'm a hard ass but i'm also i like want to help people well and you want to so have like, a good you want to do a good job and you want to yeah, solve yeah. the problem and i want to yeah. like do what they want to do but at the same time like that's not going to be a good business right. practice right. <laughs> so right <laughs> you have to like build some of that in to prevent yourself from like getting caught up in the moment right and totally. doing something bad for the company totally so the fourth major life principle is this whole understanding that people are wired very differently. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. He talks a lot about Myers-Briggs. Yeah, they do a lot of personality testing there. So they make you do a Myers-Briggs. Uh, I think you do a few others. And then they create baseball cards. Yeah, I like that idea Just a lot. Just so cool. I like yeah. that idea a lot. <laughs> it's like each person's strengths and weaknesses and their personality types. And Which you already do mentally. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, when you're interacting with people. But this is like, again, I guess it goes back to their whole like being open kind of thing about, you know, culture it puts it out there where it's like because you know in a, any organization like everybody's always like oh that person is like the dry like very detail-oriented person that person's the big idea person you know like you're already mentally like you might not explicitly be thinking that right but, but you're you all know. thinking it yes. yeah yeah well and then I, I i suppose the challenge here would be that everyone's gonna have different opinions and impressions of people no but they're basing it off what the test says right it, but I thought the also, baseball cards were based off of they're based off the test but they're also i think it has something to do with like password performance okay I, I'm not 100% sure, you know, this is something where I'd love to see an example. Ray Dalio, send these to us. <laughs> well, he's going to release the app, I think. Okay, cool. Because he's, ta- he's yeah. been talking about the principles app, yep. which has all of these tools in it, which will be cool to see. But yeah, I'd be very curious what exactly the implementation looks like for the baseball cards. Mm-hmm. Because actually, you know, let's see if we can find one. Because I haven't looked at all. Uh, uh, maybe. Oh, okay. So th- there's some kind of like little snippets, but... Oh, maybe it's like an ongoing thing because it looks like people are giving each other ratings constantly about... Sounds like the China thing that just came out. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Where they want to like rate citizens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that Black Mirror episode. Yeah, oh, exactly. man. That sounds terrifying. Uh, so maybe this is only good in a business scenario. Yeah. <laughs> personal stuff. No, thank you. Because it's like, I don't know. People are so sensitive. It would be like, it'd be the most extreme version of the college campus, yes, right? Exactly. Like you cannot disagree with loud. But in this environment, to be fair, it's like fully expected that people disagree. Oh yeah. yeah you're supposed to disagree. Like yes. disagreement is good. Yeah. Right. And so in that environment, it works. Yeah. So maybe in their environment, if you're too agreeable, people might be like, oh, they never say what's on their exactly. mind. Exactly. They never challenge you. And then, right. And that's but in real life, that's not how the majority of people yeah. operate. I've actually started kind of like testing people that I meet where try to just like argue a little bit with them yep. early on to see how they respond to it because it's such a good metric of if they're going to be interesting to uh, talk to yeah. right if they get really uncomfortable and back off or if they just sort of like say yes and go along with it it's like okay like whatever but i always find the most interesting people are the ones who will like be willing to get into it with you a bit or if they ask you like where you're coming from like what yeah, the, they want to learn or yeah or they'll yeah. say like well like i don't know i'm not coming up with a good example now but if you disagree with somebody on like the college campus thing and they're like a smart person who holds the opposite belief mm-hmm. they might ask like oh like why do you think that like, why do you think safe spaces are a bad idea? And like, they won't immediately jump down your throat of like, oh, what a horrible person if you don't believe in safe spaces. Those people are usually not that much fun to talk to. Yeah. Or some people will meekly sort of be like, yeah, you're right, Nat. 
Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they're usually not that interesting either. No. The, the other fun way to like test new people you meet is to say something like kind of controversial <laughs> or that like might seem controversial just to see how they respond. Right? This is such a net. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but like one that I've used no, a number joking. of times is like talking about like LSD or mushrooms as like a really beneficial thing for people to do. Yeah, and then and, see how people react. Yeah, and see how people react <laughs> because some people will just be like so wildly uncomfortable that <laughs> it's like okay, it's not good. But then other people, it's like like they've read the research too, and then it's like a really cool thing that you can talk about, and you like instantly connect on that, or they're like curious, right? Like or you or you like get into an argument about it, and like getting into an argument is fine too. Yeah, especially right? if it's like a legit argument, not like an emotional driven like oh mushrooms are bad because they're drugs. bad right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this loop argument of like <laughs> yeah. it's bad because it's bad it's bad because yeah, yeah. exactly like euthyphro socrates yeah. Style. Yeah. <laughs> uh okay anyway yeah so challenge people in public it's fun <laughs> <laughs> that's the takeaway from this wait what other book were we reading where that came up Oh, it was in the Elon Musk one yeah. where it says like where he mentions, you know, if you whatever tribe you live in, try saying something contrary to the tribe. Yeah. Right. It's That's a good idea. It's always fun. It's always a good time. All right. And then the last major life principle is to learn how to make decisions effectively. So what he says here in the beginning is think about how you can make all of your decisions well in a systematic, repeatable way, and then being able to describe the process so clearly and precisely that anyone else can make the same quality decisions under the same circumstances. Yeah. This is literally like the basis of all the work principles. Yeah. Right. And just systematizing, algorithmatizing have you how ever, you do your work. In any work environment you've ever been in, have you ever written like, if you're making a big decision, have you ever written out like almost a memo kind of note about, then sent it out to people about yeah. why? Okay. I like that idea though. For, I've done that since my first company where anytime it was like a decision or like sort of change in not change in like full direction of the company but change of like strategy or something or like maybe a major tactic change i write that out and send it to everybody nice. who i'm working with because i want to see what people challenge me on stuff mm. but i also want to make it very I, going back to like how i process things like being a verbal processor as i'm writing it sometimes like i'll even realize there's flaws in my own thinking and I'll like make like a sub note about that. Like it's going be like a bullet point list kind of thing. So it'll be like a sub bullet of like, I understand this could be like what goes wrong with that strategy. You know, like I try to make it very clear, like what I'm thinking yeah. and then see what people say about that too. Um, and I found kind of comfort in seeing Dalio sort. I don't know if they do their, like they write out their decisions in the same way, mm -hmm. but I viewed that as like, kind of, it's like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like I've been doing that since I was in college. Yeah. Uh, that's something I want to do more of. People yeah. do call you out sometimes. You have to just make people very comfortable with that, though. You could also probably do it with your friends, right? So it's like if you're making a major life decision, oh, write yeah. out your reasoning and yep. send it to a few of your like closer friends yep. who will challenge you on it. That like, oh, I want to move to this place or like I want to yeah. do like whatever. Yeah. It's like whatever decision you're making, that could be a cool way to stress test yep. it. I kind of want to try that. Yeah, now. it's actually not a bad idea. And business decisions, too. Like yeah. send it to people outside the company who are yeah, in similar situations. Yeah. Be like, I am thinking of doing this and like here are my reasons. And then, you know, for like me, send it to a few friends who also run like marketing firms, agencies, yeah, right? similar, like, similar experience. Yep. Yeah. And then get their feedback on it. That could be really cool and be more helpful than just getting on a phone call with them. Because when you're speaking, you're sort of like making up your reasoning as you're going. It's exactly. not fully like clarified, but I if you write it out, well, you have to see your logic. Well, this wasn't amusing ourselves to death, but the idea of like writing something is a lot more like formal and it is more a discrete thought process. Mm -hmm than verbalizing something which is why that guy wasn't allowed to use his uh exactly. verbal evidence, <laughs> verbal his evidence. PhD, yeah yeah PhD, uh, thesis <laughs> yeah yeah i think you're right there's something about like if you write yeah. that note out to your friends as opposed to getting on a phone call with them 
it'll help the decision making. Yeah, and they'll be able to reflect on what they're telling you too as they're yeah, writing. Exactly. Because then they have to write back a response. Yeah. Right. And so they have to clarify it too. Yeah, because he, he says here that the biggest threat to good decision making is harmful emotions. And so if you can systematize as much as possible, then emotions won't get in the way, which is like we were talking about before with what I learned losing a million dollars, right? Clear rules when you're going to exit your bets and that will just help immensely. This expected value calculation, yeah. thing, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot too. I've seen it also used for goal setting. So uh, my friend, Chris, Chris Sparks, he has an article on Medium about doing this for your life goals, where you list out like some goals you want to pursue over the next few years, and then you rate them in a few areas based on like meaningfulness, ease of accomplishment, likelihood of completing it, all of that. And then you like use a formula to calculate the total EV for each goal. And then you use the resulting EV to like pick which goal you go after, right? Which is, you know, like it would be hard if you really wanted to go after something else to go after the one that like works out best on paper, but it's a cool way to actually think about, especially, you know, is this something that will have long-term value for me or is it something I just want right now, right? right? Because I feel like, especially with goal setting, we tend to think in the very near term and we underweight what we could do in 10, 20 years. And so if you can start at like 10 years and then work your way back, like then I think it can work, but, or then this can be helpful for making sure you don't just pick something that's like very salient and near to you right now. Yeah. Right. It makes you think a little bigger or that, you know, you can accomplish, right? That you know, you can accomplish. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> like, uh, that's what I always try to do with my goals, especially ones that are more quantitative is like, I'll write the goal and then I'll, you know, double or triple or 10 X or whatever. It, uh, yeah. Because I know that the first thing I write down is going to be like within the realm of reasonability. But if you, you know, 10 X it, then you have to think a lot more like, okay, well, how would that that's be possible? Heuristic. That's a good because you have to change tactics probably yeah. to get there in a way that's going to pay off bigger. Right. So, and it's yeah. still going to be possible, right? Yep. It's like, I had a conversation with somebody about this once where he was saying that the reason he did a startup instead of a lifestyle business was that it would take the same amount of time to build a good startup as a good lifestyle business. It was Justin who said it on NatChat. Oh yeah, Justin said it on NatChat and also- See, I listened to your yeah, episodes, man. Good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's like you can do a lot of different things in the same amount of time with very different outcomes. Yeah. And that's sort of been like my thinking too now with Growth Machine is it's like I could spend the same amount of time doing building a business or doing consulting, yeah. but the long-term value of building a business around it is so much higher. Right. Absolutely. It makes total sense. So the EV calculations are helpful. Oh, I was going to say based on kind of what you just said, this thing he has in the same section of convert your principles into algorithms and have the yeah. computer make decisions alongside you. That's kind of related to your point about Chris's like formula of having these EV exactly. things. And I think the alongside part is very important in that where it's not making the decision for you helping you but it's helping you yeah it's like augmenting your thought process and as a cool proof of concept the best ais at chess and things are actually hybrid ais where it's an ai suggesting moves to a human expert Mm, yeah so if if you go to those competitions the teams that usually win aren't the pure ai or the pure human because an ai can beat a human at any game now augmented but the hybrid ones usually beat the best ais he says that a few times in the book oh does he mention the book he doesn't mention the chess thing okay but he mentions a few different times that how like he's like computers alone cannot never like fully understand all the points of reality because somebody has to program them but he said they can be really, really useful tools in yeah. making decisions. Well, I, I mean, I think about that with like SEO work too, is like some people will like download a spreadsheet of keywords and difficulties and volumes and everything and just go off the spreadsheet. Just based off of it. Right. But you have to kind of like quality assure the stuff before yeah. you make decisions about what it makes sense to write. Right. It's like it helps you get 80% of the way there. And then the last like fine tuning you can do. You can do it. Yeah. So finding ways to blend. Yeah. The machine intelligence with your own. 
definitely super helpful. It is the best. Interesting. I didn't know about the chest thing. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the same for Go now too. Since the A's have gotten so good. So I, unfortunately, I don't think we're gonna have that much time for all the work principles. But that also is like a little bit more, I want to say drier, like more reference style. It's more reference style. A lot of them repeat too. Like the first work principle is trust in radical truth and radical transparency, which is basically, you know, see reality and deal with it. I feel like these rules all stem out of the first part. Yeah. The life principles inform the work principles. Definitely. So, and the work principles are just more like explicitly stated for work environments and business. So, I mean, obviously like if you're listening to this and you're interested in those like we highly recommend getting the book because that's yeah, definitely grab the book i mean we even glossed over a bunch of the life principles part like when we went into yeah, there's all a lot the, more detail there's a lot more detail exactly in examples and uh it's a fascinating read like i highly recommend so it. good yeah. yeah and it's definitely something where it's i would a book say you want to buy i think yeah it's worth getting the physical copy it's really nicely illustrated yep. and has like cool it's color nice scheme book. going on it's, it's like a nice, really nice like, book feel book it's a book that you could definitely see like sitting on a book on your bookshelf in like 50 years and like picking it up and being like oh this is still relevant have like a bunch of different color sticky notes in it based on what work principles are relevant at different parts of your life and that's the thing i would suggest people do for reading it is read through the history like dalio's history and the life principles yeah that's biography parts like 100 pages maybe at most definitely just something his editor told him to put in because otherwise it would just be like a pure bolded list yeah (laughs) uh but yeah, it's it interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. Like read through the biography, read through the life principles, and then skim the work principles for whatever like stands out to you. Because you'll find certain things are more interesting at certain points in time. Like for me, work principle 10 to manage as someone operating a machine to achieve a goal. Yeah. Like that was super helpful and all the like deep dives in there to think about yourself as a manager, like building a system as opposed to like telling people what to do. Yeah. Is just a really helpful heuristic in terms of like all your decision making, your hiring, like what you spend your time on. Right. It's like wherever you can write out a guide to doing something or make a recording instead of just telling someone like that's going to be a better investment of your time. Even though it takes longer, it's better to just do that because then that person can refine that, you know, document that system. They'll give it to people who you know work for them eventually. Like it's just such a better better system. Yeah. Yeah, Well, it's like doing work once that pays off forever. Exactly. Yeah. Investing in the machine instead of like just trying to move people around. Right. So, yeah. And then the last thing is just create your own principles, right? Yeah. Start writing them down. I think, you know, it's something I'm really going to try to do more of now. You've talked about it as well, right? Like, so I, I added something to my weekly review where, oh, I'm, cool. and I'm actually, I'm publishing an article on my like quarterly, weekly, daily review process. Yeah, I was going to ask you, I'm really curious to learn more about that. Yeah. So that'll be out by the time this episode comes out. So uh, I'll link to Buy it that there. on Natalison. Natalison.com. Yeah. Search like Natalison review. Or it'll also be in the show notes. Oh, it'll be in the show notes. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's probably the, the best place to get it. <laughs> and, and where do they go for the show notes? They go to the made you think podcast.com where they can also sign up for our email list yeah. where they can get access to our outlines which are sometimes interesting well, <laughs> I, think I mean especially for this episode we didn't yeah. we only got through half the outline <laughs> yeah well and that seems to happen a lot yeah it's because, pretty like, common we'll find like obviously when you start talking about something you latch on to certain parts of it or we go on tangents unfortunately yeah. fortunately or unfortunately well and the problem too is that we schedule three hours of recording yeah. and we always spend the first hour just like catching up and going off on our own tangents which are not recorded which are not recorded but so. maybe starting next week we'll record those and throw them in as a bonus for, yeah, for email well, subscribers exactly or maybe yeah. occasionally this will be a variable reward there exactly yeah <laughs> as, as, we, as we remember to do them and as they're like scrubbed of any sensitive personal data yeah, exactly <laughs> so we're not usually checking ourselves during them but be like a 
blooper reel. Yeah, almost exactly. Too. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, majorthinkpodcast.com. Sign up. You'll get the episode outlines. You'll find out about new episodes. We'll let you know in advance what books we're reading. Yeah. So we've yeah. gotten that. A few people have asked us ahead of time so that yeah. they can read the book they before read the book. reading the, or listening to the podcast. Yeah. They'll be part of the cool people club. Yeah, exactly. I think it's like all the cool kids are going to be on all, it. All the smart people I know are yeah. on our email list. Like, <laughs> I assume that, you know. It's a good heuristic. Usually. Yeah, it's a good heuristic. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you're a smart person, then you should probably be on the email list too, right? Like. <laughs> uh, no, but we'll do like giveaways too, like uh, here and there, like with the books. And um, I'm doing that. We might do some meetups as, you know, as things keep progressing, uh, especially for people who are in New York. Yeah. Or, I mean, we traveled to, these, to other places as well. So, and we're thinking of doing like some audience suggested episodes as well, yeah. right? Where we pick a few topics and just like, read some articles and stuff, go deep on them for an episode or two. Yep. Like, there's a lot of fun things that we can do. And, and that'll be part of the email list. Yeah. That's how you'll hear about those things. Got to be on the email list. And yeah. uh, leave a review. That'd be super helpful as well on iTunes. On iTunes would be great. Just go to iTunes, search. Maybe only if you like podcast. it. But yeah. Yeah, only if you like it, right? <laughs> no, no, like one star. This guy's just goof <laughs> off for the last <laughs> 20 minutes of every episode <laughs> telling us to leave reviews. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, it's the Jocko inspired wrap up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they can just stop listening at this point. But That's true, they could, but I don't know. These, these parts are fun. fun too. Yeah, they're yeah. fun. And there's like a special guest at the end, and the Steam to Love is going to come on. So you guys should. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the backstory for that, because um, we're in the goof off section now, so I'm going to quickly tell these backstories. Awesome. I was at a, I was at a dinner, and uh, you know the podcast came up. We were talking about crypto. So I was telling them we did this crypto episode. They episode knew, seven. Episode seven. They knew Taylor Pearson, who was a guest on that episode. So we were just talking about that. And then the guy was like, actually, what's your podcast called? So I can go subscribe. And I didn't know he was going to do it like right there. So I was like, oh, it's called Made You Think. And then he went to iTunes or whatever his podcast app was and looked at the episodes. And he like yells out like super excitedly. How'd you guys get to on for your first episode? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that mm. maybe... Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe what some people are thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, Taleb, if you do want to come on an episode, yeah, we would be to glad have to uh, have you for Skin in the Game or Taleb's exactly. publicist if you're listening to this. That's coming out. Yeah. Is it available for pre-order? No, not yet. We would know if it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd probably be tweeting about it. Maybe. No, he. No, his maybe, publicist maybe wouldn't like make him do tweet. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, well. This is a tangent, okay, but go whatever. We're we got, wrap up. We, we got, got one minute. We got five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know uh, there's a football player named Clay Matthews on the Green Bay Packers? Okay. He used to be like a lot better than he is now. He's like kind of meh now. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, he's on my team, but um, okay. we, we pay him too much for what his output is. He used to be really good when he was younger. But anyway, that's a side story. He's become a he's constraint. Known, he's become a constraint, yes. He's known for um, having like long hair. He looks kind of like a caveman. But his hair like always is like very like smooth looking, even though he's been like on a field, you know, sweating for like whatever number of hours. So he got sponsored by uh, Pantene uh, like two, maybe three or four years ago. And I was at a conference and I actually met the head of sports marketing for P&G, which owns Pantene. And I brought up Clay Matthews and they were like, now he's no longer sponsored by them, I don't think. But he brought up that was going to be the sponsorship was going to be canceled because the explicit reason was one, he doesn't actually use Pantene <laughs> <laughs> and he's not a fan of it. He just took the money basically. Yeah. And then he literally does the bare minimum, which was like a tweet a month and like an Instagram post a month. <laughs> and it's like the least passionate like tweet. Cause I went back and looked at it. Yeah. It'd be like all his other tweets would be like very like ton of personality and all, all this. And then like, you could tell the sponsored one was just written by like his publicist or whoever. So, yeah, it was use, like, use Pantene, use Pantene for like you, like go to this website. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Amazing. It's like nothing. Like you can tell it's not written by the same person. <laughs> if you want. I bet that's a big problem with sponsorships. Have you seen Tucker Max's article about paying celebrities to tweet about his oh, book? Oh, my God. It's so funny. Uh, we'll, we'll have to link to that in the show notes, too. I'll have to read that. That's yeah. Interesting. I think it was like Kim Kardashian or someone who he paid to tweet. And like he went through a service that I guess like controls all of their Twitters and just like tweets for them. Well, there's this, there's definitely marketplace that yeah, lets you there, pay there for Yeah. But the tweet was something like, I can't even read, but Tucker Max's new book looks amazing. <laughs> 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 I would actually retweet that. I know, right? It's probably like amazing marketing, but yeah. then obviously like he got kicked off the platform. <laughs> There's just a bunch of those. <laughs> that also shows you they're not actually controlling their own Twitter. Oh accounts. yeah, that they're yeah. not looking at it at all. They're like somebody else run this for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish like more celebrities controlled their own Twitter accounts though, because be, that's kind of like you can tell the, the ones who do. And the yes, ones who definitely. Right? Yeah, it's like Anna Kendrick, like hers is really funny. Or Chrissy Teigen, like yeah, hilarious yeah, yeah. Twitters. Yep, it's obvious that they just like love doing it. Right, and, and it's off. them doing it. Yeah, and it's yeah. clearly them, or they have amazing ghostwriters. <laughs> yeah, it's also that's possible. possible. But sometimes you really do wonder because it's like, how are they? Like, where are they getting the time to like respond to all these things or whatever? But With the like, rock. Yeah, like all of his Twitter and Instagram game, yeah. like he's so responsive and posts so much, but he's in like seven movies at once. Yeah, right? like where does he find the time? Or even like Gary Vaynerchuk's really good at yeah, responding. I always wonder about Vayner. And like he, I mean, he seems like he doesn't sleep very much. Yeah, he definitely doesn't sleep very much. He's definitely like he definitely working hundred percent of the time. He definitely has a team that works with him on it. Probably got some good ghostwriters. Probably like very automated, like good systems. Good systems. Good I, think work I was going to say, say very good systems. Yeah, probably because because he's also he running Insta- VaynerMedia. He said his Instagram is done by a teammate. Okay, because basically he has somebody following him around with a camera, basically mm-hmm. all the time. Maybe it's the same person, maybe it's a different person. Edits the videos that would be good for Instagram videos. He probably like just records the videos and stuff when he's like waiting for a meeting, right? Probably like, hanging yeah. out because some of the well, videos of he's, he's like, in, in a, a parking car lot. Or yeah, or like, in the car. Yep. Yeah. So it's like uh, use those yeah. minutes to just record little like yep. Gary. And then he doesn't do the editing. He doesn't do like the posting or whatever. So yeah. like probably saves him time and then keeps growing the following that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, that I mean, like that makes a huge difference. The only reason that we can do this much like podcasting yeah, is definitely that we, we have. Help. We don't do the editing. We don't, yeah. 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 Like having really good people who you can work with to like help with all that stuff just makes such a huge difference. And they're better than you at it. Oh, so much better. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to what Dalio was saying. You, you, can, you can hear the like switch over in Nat chat when it went from me editing to Andre's editing. <laughs> yeah. It's just like so much better. <laughs> but that's like a Dalio principle. Yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. hire people who are better than you to do the things you think are your job and find a new job. Cool. Well, cool. on that note, buy the book. Go to majorthinkpodcast.com. Leave a review. Sign up for the mail tell list. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. We're giving away free money in the emails tomorrow, so <laughs> okay, we're not actually doing that. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? What did we talk about? This? Where did the money come from? It was that Calendly plug like, earlier. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, they're wait. paying us literally dollars. <laughs> okay. Calendly, right. you are welcome to sponsor this, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you are. You know, That's two plugs now. It's yeah. got to be worth something. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right, right, guys. Until next time. See you next week. See Cheers. <laughs>